Welcome to the New Mana Podcast, an Arch KCK production. Welcome back to New Mana, your newest favorite Catholic podcast on the Holy Eucharist. My name is Lee McMahon, your host, and I serve as consultant for evangelization at the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. But don't be fooled. If you've got a pulse, this podcast is for you. If you are hungry for more, if you are fed up with the empty promises of the world, Jesus has more for you. We have been called to communion in Christ. We have been given the mission of bringing people to Jesus and bringing revival to the church. So our title, New Manna, it comes from John 6, 58. Jesus says, this is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Come on, Jesus is the new manna, the bread of life, and he gives himself totally to us in the Holy Eucharist every single day. Come on, Jesus. So really excited for our episode today. Uh, But before we get into that, I just want to say thank you to everybody out there who's left a review or rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You're actually helping us get the word out there that Jesus is alive, that he is about a good work, and that he is truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Holy Eucharist. So coming all the way from the lush, the tropical, the long sought after favorite vacation destination of Brighton, Michigan is one of my dear friends, the one and only Mr. Kevin Bailey. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Haley, I am so excited to be here with you today. Me too. So Brighton, Michigan is where exactly? Uh, So we, I'd hold up the hand and point it there, Um, but we're in the Southeast corner. That's just the easiest way. We are equidistance between Lansing, Detroit, and Ann Arbor. So smack dab in the middle of uh, some great rivalries between Michigan and Michigan State, um, but far away from the the real enemies uh, of our our people here in Michigan, right. uh, Ohio State, obviously. Yeah. Got the big win this, this weekend. That was great. Um, but we did not get the lush weather we were promised this November. Right. A um, little sad about that. In fact, I don't know that we'll see the sun again until April at the earliest. Sounds about right. But Kevin, you you kind of hold a, a special place in my life because you are actually one of the people that I attribute my like life in ministry for the church to because it's it's your invitation to apply for a youth ministry job in Kansas City, Missouri at the ripe age of like 20 or whatever I was that then I got into the church. So I just want to say thank you for that, for for being a courageous leader and offering the invitation to, to say, go for it. Um, but you know this. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate it anyway. And, you know, it's funny. I have a a really nasty habit of picking my best volunteers and team members uh, into <laughs> other locations. And I'm like, why do I keep doing this? It's so good to see you, see you thriving. Um, but selfishly, I'm like, man, that's just another core member gone from my squad. Right. Kevin, tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, kind of your season of life right now. Yeah, for sure. So I currently serve um, as the director of discipleship at St. Patrick's uh, Catholic Parish in Brighton. Um, Been in this role for a little over a year. Uh, I previously did youth ministry for 10 years, um, first six in Kansas City, and then four up here in Michigan. I am married uh, for over 10 years, 10 and a half years. Uh, Let's go. So blessed uh, by that. Can't believe it um, that it's, it's been 10 years already. I have four wonderful children. Uh, they are maniacs and in the, in the best way, just bundles of energy. And we, uh, we, we flew out to see my wife's family in Denver 
uh, last week. And, you know, taking four kids on an airplane is a tall order mm. and taking four kids on an airplane uh, with a 5.30 a.m. flight time Whoa. and a 9 p.m. return time um, is a recipe for disaster. But they they trooped it out. They had the time of their life. Uh, we actually had a lady next to us say, you know, you guys did such a good job. They're clearly seasoned flyers. And we're like, no, this is their this is the first time for all of them <laughs> on a plane. She was she was flabbergasted. So I give my kids a hard time. I always make jokes about them, but they're they're really amazing. So you work in discipleship. You were in in youth ministry. Like, what is what does it mean to like help a parish with discipleship? What does that kind of look like? Um, give us the thirty thousand foot view. Speaking of flying. Oh, that is, man, the goal here is to help form spirit-filled missionary disciples. Mm. So we want to take individuals and we want to introduce them to Jesus, right? That that big picture view and not just stay there. If, oh, I've met Jesus um, and I follow, follow Jesus or I'm following Jesus, but I have been filled with his spirit and I'm going out and sharing that good news with other people. Yeah. And so in my role, um, I'm overseeing, you know, that, that piece of what are we doing to invite people in? How are we seeking the lost right. of the world um, and inviting uh, people in? And when they get here, how are they encountering the love of God? Because right. that's what transforms people is encountering uh, the, the love of the father poured out in their life. Yep. Um, and once they've had that encounter, that experience, that opportunity to leave their nets, what are they leaving their nets for? Where, what space have we prepared for them to be cared for, to grow, um, to mature in, in holiness, mm -hmm. right. Um, and in intellectual and spiritual maturity, right. We, right. we want disciples that know what it means to follow the Lord, that know the faith, um, be in their mind, but also in their heart. I just love that. Cause to be a disciple of Christ is to be not only one who follows, not only one who learns, but one who shares one and one who goes and who is sent. Brighton, Michigan, is that, that's not where Sacred Heart Major Seminary is. That's in Detroit, right? Yeah, it's in Detroit. Okay. But our priests all go through Sacred Heart. Gotcha. Um, it's definitely a big influence in the area. Uh, we actually hold uh, the Catholic Biblical School, um, which is kind of, a, it's a little bit of an offshoot of Sacred Heart Seminary. So you've got professors and students from Sacred Heart who've mm -hmm. gotten their um, masters, help teach, um, and really make this a very uh, Bible literate area. So we actually are one of the campuses for that. Nice. Um, and you'll, we'll get 40 to 50 students, uh, through each cycle. So they do, it's, it's a four year program. Um, and so they just, you've got all these students coming in and, and learning scripture and, and being blessed uh, by what's happening there nice. at, at Sacred Heart. Something, a word that you mentioned earlier is an encounter with God. So like encountering the love of God is what transforms lives. Like you re read the gospels, this is super normal for Jesus to just, okay, there was a before I met Christ, and what is it that happened when I met Christ is I experienced the Father's love. And then after that, my life was changed forever. So encounter. Encounter, mm -hmm. not just the, the term to encounter something or someone, but there's actually this thing called Encounter Ministries, and you are actually, you're an instructor for the Encounter School of Ministry. Is that right? I am. I teach here in Maine campus. Super privileged to be able to to partner with Encounter Ministries as they train, equip, and activate disciples to walk in the, the power of the Holy Spirit and demonstrate the love of God. Uh, and I also facilitate online. Uh, so I have students from all over the world. Such a cool thing to say, honestly. Wow. But, you know, it's cool to say, like, students all over America. Uh, but knowing that I have friends in Scotland, in Ireland, 
uh, in France, in yeah. Spain, in New Zealand, in China. You know, I had two students in Hong Kong last year getting up in the middle of the night to sit down on class. Wait, you have you have students in China? Yeah, Dude. China, uh, Hong Kong. Uh, it's it's wild. Sri Lanka, right? They barely yeah. have internet in in some parts of the country, and they're um, fighting, traveling long distances to the cafes to sit in on class and to receive and be blessed. Not only that, but they're and in the middle of the night for these classes. In the middle of the night. It's oh, it's just so cool. You know, having seeing someone who's like, you know, it's I'm like, I'm tired. You know, it's nine o'clock my time. We're ending at 11 p.m. I'm sleepy. They're getting up at 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning uh, and starting their day mm-hmm. with this content, diving into the teaching and the activations, um, taking the content and applying it to their lives. It's, it's so encouraging for me. Right. And it gets me pushing forward. Like, Lord, what, what more do you have for me that I'm just not fighting for? Yeah. Oh, I love it. And that's something that we both share is that we're both instructors for Encounter. Uh, you for main campus, you online, but me here in the Kansas City School, um, bringing the kingdom, teaching, equipping, and activating disciples to, to demonstrate the love of God in their spheres of influence. It's so awesome. So Kevin, take us back to the beginning. Like, What's your story of falling in love with Christ? Oh, man, that is such a story. Uh, yeah, I was born and raised Catholic. Uh, we were in, grew up in a small town. Uh, outside of St. Louis. And we were, we were every Sunday goers. You know, we even went to the Holy Days of Obligation. Uh, we took dress clothes on vacation. That was, that was probably my biggest complaint as, as a seventh grader. If I could identify my biggest frustration with the church, it's that my mom made me bring pants to wear on vacation <laughs> when we went to church. I was like, mom, I'm in Florida right now. I need to be wearing shorts it's and 95, a Hawaiian shirt. 100% humidity. Yeah. It's terrible. The The worst experience, we drove to the Grand Canyon one year. Our car broke down in Oklahoma on the way home. My mom made me put on pants and walk two and a half miles to Mass in Oklahoma in the July heat. Uh, wow. Still still bitter about that to this day. And at some point, my parents went on a Crucio at weekend, mm-hmm. had an encounter with the Lord, started going to adoration regularly. And... Uh, really wanted me to get involved with my faith, with youth group. And I was very hesitant to that. Um, and so there's kind of this ongoing battle right. uh, between my parents and I about being involved in youth ministry and, and everything like that. But the one thing that I did get dragged into was the Steubenville Youth Conferences. Um, so my church uh, sent a group of teens uh, down to Springfield, Missouri, to Missouri State's campus uh, to attend this youth conference Uh, that they would host every year. Um, And it was sponsored by Franciscan University out of Steubenville, Ohio. And the whole conference was oriented towards introducing people to the person of Jesus and really culminating in this uh, adoration experience, beholding Jesus in the Eucharist, in the monstrance. And when I got down there, seeing my first year, there was 2,000 kids, uh, 2,000 kids singing Jesus songs and praising and everything was a wild experience of super eye-opening um, and a ton of fun, right? You're essentially unsupervised uh, for two and a half days, running around, eating pizza, um, not sleeping, and hearing some pretty awesome people give some pretty awesome talks about Jesus. Yeah. And so uh, my my big takeaway for the first really five years of going um, was buy as many t-shirts uh, that have ripped off of other popular brands as possible. 
um, and wear them all the time and array your wrists and neck with as many bracelets and representations of the cross as possible um, so that people know that you are Catholic and better than them. Yeah. And, um, uh, and then do nothing else different about your life. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I did. So I had, I was actually telling some kids at a confirmation retreat recently that I had 72 Jesus shirts. Um, so between retreat shirts, Steubenville shirts and shirts I bought at the conferences, I had 72 Jesus shirts shirts when I graduated high school. Um, like that you had once upon a time I owned at, okay. And, like at one time war at one time. Wow. That was almost my entire wardrobe. I was either wearing a Jesus t-shirt that I bought at a conference or got free going to a conference. Um, or I was wearing one of my high school basketball shirts. That was it. And, um, but nothing in my life changed. So I kept going to these conferences. Um, but I didn't allow what was mm. happening there to change me when I got back. Yeah. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I think partially I was scared. Uh, partially I didn't know what to do. And, you know, it wasn't until, um, my sixth time going, right. And that's a little bit of encouragement out for all of our listeners out there who have friends or family members that they've been talking to and encouraging and inviting to things for long periods of times is it, it, sometimes it takes time, right? Sometimes, uh, you know, you're taking those steps, those little inches towards uh, that moment of conversion. Yeah. And, you know, our Sherry Waddell talks about in the book, Forming Intentional Disciples, the thresholds of conversion. And, you know, I was moving through those stages yeah. towards that moment of, oh my gosh, there's a person here who cares about me, who loves me and wants a relationship with me. And, you know, I got there uh, when I was 20 years old and realized that I had an encounter actually in the Eucharist, in mass, mm-hmm. and, and where I realized that, that is, that's really Jesus there. And he wants he asks something of me and I heard God's voice for the first time and it just what do you completely say? altered the trajectory of my life. Um, so I was going up to receive communion and I had been in an argument with God for the, the past 24 hours about going to confession first. Um, I, I, one of my friends uh, didn't receive communion on Friday before we were going to mass and I saw him and I was like, hey, you didn't receive communion. And he goes, well, I haven't been to confession in a long time and I've got some stuff that I need to take care of before I receive Jesus. And I was like, I didn't know that we were supposed to do that. Hmm. Like, tell me more. So he starts explaining to me about just being in a proper disposition to receive communion and the difference between mortal sin and venial sin. And I started thinking about my own life and I was like, man, I go to confession once a year at this conference. I save up all of my sins mm-hmm. like receipts and I cash them in at the conference. I get all clean. I get that real high feeling mm-hmm. from dumping off a load of junk right. at the, the junkyard. And, and I just go on my merry way. And all of a sudden I had someone saying like, Hey, you should actually be going to confession regularly. And if they're big sins, like you shouldn't be receiving communion at all. And, and that scared me. And so on, you know, we're at the conference on Saturday morning, and I realized that I had forgotten to go to confession. Mm-hmm. Forgotten is a strong word. I chose to get pizza with my friends instead of going to confession because the line was too long. Right. On Friday night. <clears throat> forgotten. 
uh, to go to confession on Friday night. And so I'm sitting there on Saturday at mass and like, oh my gosh, I, I can't, I'm not supposed to receive communion now. And that, at that, at that moment in my life, I was kind of a poster child for our youth ministry. And if the kids in our group, um, if the leaders in our group saw me not receive communion, then they would know that I was a sinner. And in my mind, no one knew that I was a sinner. Sure. And so I was going back and forth with the Lord about receiving communion. Just like I just, and I say back and forth, it was just me just giving him all the reasons why he needed to make an exception right. in this moment in time that it was okay for me to receive communion. Um, and as we stood up to go to communion, I actually uttered the words like, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm just not strong enough. And when I went to receive communion, I was struck dumb and mute. I couldn't speak. Um, I didn't know where I was. And, and, and I, and I was just standing there with my, my hands at my side and my mouth kind of hanging open. Um, and the priest, you know, said the body of Christ and, and then he realized my hands were at my side, my, my mouth is hanging open. He didn't really know where to put it. And so he put Jesus back in the, the ciborium in the yep. holder, you know, that he, he has communion in and he just gave me a blessing and he kind of like, kind of bumped me out of the way, like go. Yep. Cause you know, you have non-Catholics at the conference and people who don't know what they're doing. So it wasn't weird for him. Um, and as I turned to go back to my seat, uh, all of my faculties, right. My, my ability to process, my ability to talk, everything came rushing back all at once. Yeah. And it was about three steps away where my brain caught up to what had just happened. Yeah. And, uh, I panicked. I turned bright red. I was so angry, so confused. And, and I, I tried to turn around, but there was already like three people behind me mm -hmm. and, uh, they're like, what are you, what are you doing? And I was like, ah, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> and, and I just like tripped, you know, through the, the venue back to my seat and I knelt down and, and in my mind, I was just like, what, 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 what the hell just happened? Like what, yeah. like I was like almost shaking. And, and then I heard the voice of God for the first time and, and it came in so loud just in my head. And I heard him say, you weren't strong enough, but I am. And when he said, I am like, it's like that moment in the garden hmm. when Jesus asked who they're looking for. Yeah. And he says, I am. And it says the soldiers fell over everybody. Right. Cause the weight of the Lord's glory, right. Was revealed that moment. As he claimed, you know, the same way he did to Moses. I am who I am. Right. He says, I am there. Right. He said, you weren't strong enough, but I am. And I just got hit in my very core mm -hmm. and I just collapsed in a heap on the ground and I just wept and, and there was boogers nice. and, you know, you always hear about people telling their stories and like, oh my gosh, I ugly cried. And there was boogers. And I always laugh at those stories. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, it happened to me. Right here. There's I am boogers. on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. The people around me, my friends, my girlfriend are just like, are you okay? And I was like, oh, you know, I can't talk. Yep. I can't even process. Yeah. They went and got our youth minister and he came over and he got enough out of me to know that something had happened and I needed to go to confession. And he just kind of like dragged me and helped half carried, half right. helped me walk um, out of the seats. And then I just took off, just sprinted all the way across campus hmm. uh, to where the confession 
priests were going to be. And I sat there uh, for 25, 30 minutes and just waited for the first priest. And he like rounded the corner and jumped a little bit because he saw me sitting there. And I was like, I need to go to confession. He's like, okay, let's, let's do it. And, you know, I'll never forget coming out of that confession yeah. and actually appreciating what had just happened. Uh, I'll never forget receiving communion uh, the next morning, going to adoration that night mm-hmm. and, and knowing that there was someone there who was, who heard me, who was, who was listening and who was, was also talking back. And uh, yeah. Wow. So it sounds like you, you didn't hear his audible voice. But like the you, just, it was just a direct download, in into yourself that you just immediately understood. It was it mm-hmm. was just in, yeah, like understandable from the very first moment. And I love that the Lord loves to speak to us through us. That he he's not just uh, oh I'll write you a letter every now and then. Um, maybe I'll get to I'll, maybe I'll just speak to you audibly. You know when you're really really. Uh, you know, off the deep end, but no, he just, you were open. You were, you were ready and he spoke. He spoke. I just love that. I love that. So it was in the Eucharist that the Lord, it was in that process of encountering Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, not just you and the Lord solo, but you with, um, within this body of believers, like within this, mm-hmm. this group of peers, not just peers, but those whom you're leading, that it, it didn't just become, well, it became real. Yeah, it became real for you. Jesus became real for you in a real sense. And not only that, but cap it all off with, come on, not just confession, but receiving him in the Eucharist the following day. That's that's just such a beautiful and profound experience. Wow. Yeah. And, and to be, you know, like you said there, like I was a leader on the trip at this point. Right. Right. Which is what blows my mind is that the people around me saw something in me. Right. And said like, hey, we're actually going to come help. We're going to help you. We're going to stay with you. We know you're not there yet, but we're going to put you in a position, right? Where we're going to keep fostering what the Lord is doing. We're going to keep fostering and preparing that openness so that when he shows up, you're ready to say yes. And you can be released into mission. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm just so grateful for for them, for for Eddie, now Father Eddie, for, for seeing me, inviting me to be on core team and for the other people on, on the team who helped guide and shape me in, in those, those years. And they were not easy years. Um, you know, after my first year, after my first conference, they actually had a meeting of, are we going to let this kid come back? He's a maniac. He's crazy. Right. He's difficult. He doesn't always listen. And, um, and they, they persevered and, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. Shout out to that youth minister who, who had a shepherd, a core team member when he's there for the teens. I love that so much. <laughs> it's just, it's just totally real. Okay, so you have this moment of encounter. You go to confession. You receive the Lord in the Eucharist, and then and then what happens? Who's Kevin after? Um, so I, I was still at school at the University of Missouri in Columbia, um, but I wanted to major in Jesus, and so I started looking for schools to transfer to, and and I started going to adoration all the time. Mm. Um, you know, every day I would. We didn't have like the exposed Eucharist at our Newman Center. Um, but I would just go sit in the tap, the chapel where the tabernacle was. And I would try and sit there for 30 minutes to an hour, uh, every day. I did, um, three things my sophomore year of college. I went to class, uh, I played basketball and I prayed and that was it. Mm. And it was in that time, you know, I started just kind of wandering in there and sitting in there and not really knowing what to do. Uh, 
And then I started praying the rosary because, you know, good Catholics, we pray the rosary. And then I started reading the Bible because I didn't know what else to do and dove into the scriptures um, because I wanted to hear God speak yeah. more. Yeah. I wanted to know what he had to say about my life. And uh, I don't know why I chose what I chose. You know, I, I know a lot of people when they encounter God or they want to start reading the Bible, they start with Genesis and they move through it. Right. Through it. And I don't know if I just had remembered some things that had been shared at the conference or if I got wise advice, but either way, I started reading the Psalms and the Gospels uh, were the two primary things. I'd read a Psalm and a chapter of the Gospels Beautiful. every day. Beautiful. Um, and, and just spent time in front of Jesus. And it was in that time that he directed me to Benedictine College where I majored in theology and youth ministry. Um, and it was in that time of adoration, uh, you know, regular adoration has become one of my, my daily habits. Even, even to this day, you know, when I'm at home and it's hard to get adoration when you've got kids. Um, I'm so grateful for the internet, for YouTube. Uh, you can pull up adoration on your, on your computer. Right. And, uh, when I first started youth ministry, there was a, a little order of nuns in Pennsylvania that kind of pioneered online adoration. And I remember telling people all the time, go to savior.org, go to savior.org, go to savior.org and sit with Jesus. Like he's here, he's there. He wants to commune with you. Right. And he, he's not bound by the internet. And, and since then, you know, there's a whole COVID did incredible things for live streaming adoration. Yeah. And there's a whole host of, of websites and places that you can go and be with Jesus and, and commune with Jesus. And I, I'll pull them up when I'm in my office. Uh, I'll pull them up when I'm at home. Yeah. And, you know, one of my favorite ones, one of my, my favorite tabernacles in all the world, I can't wait to go visit it one day, um, is in Poland. It's the, e, there's an EWTN station, church, whatever, in Poland. Um, and their monstrance is actually Mary. Mm. And her, right in the center of her body is where, the host goes where Jesus goes. Wow. And it's like, uh, you know, pregnant Mary, like bearing Jesus to the world. And, uh, especially in, as we approach this Advent season, every year in Advent, that's the, the, the monstrance that I go to. Um, and, yeah. and I just sit there with Mary and I'm like, come make your son known to me. Come introduce me to him in a new way. Come reveal, um, the depths of, and the beauty of, of what's present here. Wow. And so, so I just have just, the Eucharist has been such a huge, ever since that moment, um, getting to daily mass as frequently as possible and, and going to adoration as frequently as possible has been yeah. just such a source of fuel for me in my life. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, the real, that's the real thing right there. I love that you said that you, know, you, you had this encounter and you went back to college, back to your, your normal everyday life as a student on a, on a super secular campus. And you're like, you know what? I want to be about, you said I was about three things. And I just love that. You know, had you had your way, not to put words in your mouth, but you probably would have spent more time doing Jesus things, right? I mean, so, and I love that. Like, what was the, was there a tipping point for you? Um, I mean, it was after your sophomore year that you transferred to Benedictine. Is that what you said? Got yeah. It. Got mm -hmm. it. So, so you, a year after I had that big conversion. Okay. So when I transferred to Benedictine. Gotcha. This is kind of a, an open-ended bigger question just like what do you think the lord's doing in the church right now oh wow that is such a huge question so many things um you know i was reading a a post probably three weeks ago on facebook um and it was talking about how narrow our vision is mm. and 
how easily we get distracted by, you know, what's going on around us and then we can get discouraged. And this particular individual was like, you know, in 1535 and, and 1536, King Henry, you know, left the Catholicism, you know, was declared the head of the church of England, started tearing down all the monasteries in, in England and attacking the faith. And we're in the midst of the Protestant Re- reformation. And there's all these people leaving the church sure. and how broken that time was and how discouraging it must've been for so many people. And, you know, I look at the church today and there's, you know, so many people leaving the church, people talking about their kids and their grandkids not receiving the sacraments. Like we can look at the statistics and say, you know, marriages in the church are down, baptisms are down, first communions are down, confirmations are down. And say like, man, like the faith, it's dying. But then they list it off, you know, in 1531, Mary appeared to St. Juan Diego. And in 1532, uh, St. Philip Neri came to Rome and had his conversion. And and in 1534, you have uh, St. Teresa of Avila entered the convent. And in 1535, St. Uh, Ignatius founded the Jesuits with St. Francis Xavier and six other men. And in 1536, um, you know, this happened in 1537 um, CCD was started because a priest wandered around the streets of Rome, handing apples to poor kids and saying, Hey, come learn about Jesus. Mm. Uh, In 1538, you know, the Ursulines were founded and all of these things are happening right to, to bring the church back together, Mm. to unite the church back together. Um, And in 1539, 1538, I don't know, um, that same Philip Neary who had his conversion started traveling from parish to parish, preaching about the love of God and how it transforms us. And, you know, I I look at the church right now and I'm like, those little pockets of things are happening right now, right? I look at, at stuff like this podcast that's feeding people and you're like, are we, is every person in the world listening to this? No, but are there thousands of people being blessed by these stories, being transformed, being convicted about the reality of the Eucharist and how transformative it is them, 100%. And you look at Encounter Ministries and and what they're doing there yeah. and in impacting people with the, in teaching people, hey, the Holy Spirit wants to partner with you to help you become a little Christ to the world and do the works that he did right. and even greater works than these. You look at the Eucharistic revival that's happening across uh, across the country right now and, and the amazing stories we're already getting from that. We just did at, at our parish the, the study on the Eucharistic revival. And, you know, watching it beforehand and prepping for it, uh, one of my coworkers and I were just talking about like, man, this seems like some really basic stuff. Right. And like, I feel like we could do more than this, but we'll run it and see what happens. And we had 65 people come to this every week Hmm. and the testimonies on the last night, you know, I started crying just listening to these people who, who knew for the first time what the Eucharist was, who understand for the first time stuff that I, I realized I've taken for granted because of my life experience because of my, the blessing of my education that they're hearing for the first time yeah. and how transformative that is. So, you know, what is the Lord doing? Um, he is a shepherd going after his sheep mm-hmm. and he is using every medium and every ministry and every person who is willing yeah. to go after those lost sheep. Yeah. It's funny that you brought up uh, St. Philip Neri cause like people might know him from like the, you know, the, the endearing painting of him, like looking kind of kooky, like holding his heart. He's just like, he looks like a really friendly old guy, right? But this is a saint who was out in the streets preaching the good news, not just to the poor, but to literally everybody. And you know, it's something that people don't talk about about St. Philip Neri is that he healed the sick. 
He was praying mm-hmm. for healing, healing of anybody who needed it. And St. Philip Neri, actually, literally, we have documented proof, he raised the dead. Like in the name of Jesus, he raised the dead. So it's like, we love to just put our, our saints like in this, like on these super beautiful, you know, just untouchable uh, podiums, if you will. And that they're just these cookie cutter saints who did nothing but like kneel in prayer all day long. And it's like, no, these were incredible, massive, monumental lovers of Jesus Christ and neighbor. And because of that, transformation happened because of that culture change because of that the counter-reformation happened and praise god for it because the church was a mess and it needed some straightening up and yeah i just love jesus i love the church i love that we're broken and not that we're broken but the fact that even despite our brokenness that the lord is still Mm -hmm. alive and active and about the good work of bringing restoration and healing and life to where um there was death and ah i just I can't get over it. Cool. I agree with you. You know, we have we have a, a priest here in the Diocese of Lansing who he gives a homily every year on the call to be saints. And one of the things he talks about is he's like, he, he's like, Lord, save us from uh, stern faced and straight faced saints. Yeah. Because we see these icons and these images and they've painted the saints to be almost emotionless yeah. and stone faced and yeah. so pious but they were so full of life and so full of joy. And, and it's one of the reasons St. Philip Neri is one of my favorite saints is because he was so full of joy. He was a practical joker and he would shave half of his face. So half face, half beard, half no beard. And just to make people laugh, to provide an opportunity to yeah. start a conversation with them, to talk about Jesus. Um, there was once a rich merchant in the city um, who spoiled his dog to the point of excess. And one day St. Philip Neri, quote unquote, kidnapped his dog. Um, <laughs> just to teach the man uh, the primacy of, of others and people. And just yeah. like, Hey, like you're, you're being ridiculous. He would, he would tease St. Ignatius when, when Ignatius was in Rome, like they mm-hmm. were contemporaries um, and, and play jokes on other people. And, yeah. you know, you look at, at some of the stories of the saints and we miss uh, the fun, the joy, the silliness that they had. And we're like, Oh, we have created this caricature of holiness and this caricature of what it means to follow Jesus and this, almost false piety, this right. false sense of the holiness is external rather than this internal transformation, Yeah. rather than looking, okay, what are the fruit of what is happening? Where is, where is the joy, the goodness, the gentleness, uh, the self-control? Are they present in the lives of these individuals? Okay, good. And it can be, it, it can, you can be a serious saint, but you can also be a silly saint. Right. And, and we can't miss that. Yeah. The, the Lord doesn't want to annihilate our individuality. He doesn't want to just like crush and kill our personality. Like that's something that is a huge misconception about the church, about us, about our spirituality, that um, even within our faith, within the Catholic faith, that there are so many different expressions of spirituality. You've got your Franciscans, your Dominicans, your Augustinians, but within all of them remains the truth that the Lord wants us to be us. He wants us to be our own selves with our own personality, with our own je ne sais quoi, like the, 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 what it is, you know, that makes each person individual and beautiful. He wants, he wants to, um, to partner with that. And he wants mm-hmm. us to partner with him, um, in our own way to bring his kingdom with our own little, uh, pizzazz or panache, I guess is the right way to say it. Like the Lord wants Lee to be Lee. 
Thor wants Kevin to be Kevin and through them alive in me by my spirit, I will renew the face of the earth. So question for you. So many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are um, on the fence with respect to the Holy Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're wrestling with this this Eucharistic reality, like they either are trying to wrap their heads around it or they're just waiting for that heart encounter moment for it all to kind of just click and make sense. What advice would you give to anybody who's on the fence with the uh, real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist? You know, I think for a lot of people, the place they want to go to first is the mass. And that's where we want to invite people to as Catholics. We're often like, come to the mass, come see the mass. And, you know, I had that huge conversion in the mass, um, but that was probably the last and greatest experience that I had at mass. Mm. And almost every mass since then has, has been a, a more dry experience. And especially with kids, I mean, like trying to enter into mass with children is, is a difficult process. Oh man. And yeah, you know, what I would say to people is go to your local Catholic church, find a local Catholic church. They've all got a tabernacle, whether it's off to the side, whether it's in the main church and, and just sit there, just be there, set a timer for 15 minutes and, and do that for 30 days. Right. And you're like, who's got 30 days in a row, do it for two weeks, 14 days in a row. And tell me that the atmosphere isn't different there. Hmm. And, and it is how many times with students, with friends in my own life, you get in a a church, you get in and then that presence, the presence of the one who has peace and you can feel it in the atmosphere. Hmm. This is, this is so crazy. And I, I was talking to the Lord about this, um, almost a year ago, I noticed that I would, I would come, I'd get up in the morning. I'm a morning person. I'm super awake. I'm super ready to go. Uh, I love the morning. Uh, but whenever I'd go to mass, whether it was Sunday or during a weekday, I would just, I'd get there and I'd sit down and it was like this, almost like this exhaustion would hit me. And I would just like, be like almost falling asleep for the entirety of mass. And then mass is over. Boom. I'm wide awake again. I'm bouncing around. I'm like, man, Lord, I feel so guilty being Mm -hmm. tired at mass. And the Lord's like, well, you're resting. Like you're coming and resting. Like you come and you leave your burdens at the door and you just sit in my presence and your, your soul is restored there. Hmm. Like I'm, I'm, I'm preparing you for the day ahead. And like, I just had this moment of clarity and rec- of, of recognition of gratefulness to the Lord of, oh, I'm not falling asleep in mass. I'm at peace. I'm so calm. I'm so at rest. I'm so at ease that I'm at the point of falling asleep. Hmm. Because his presence is there. And if if the Eucharist is what we say it is, if it really is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, if we're in the presence of Jesus, then everything that his presence being brings, peace, love, joy, gentleness, all those fruits of the Holy Spirit are going to be present when you sit before him. And so my encouragement for people is, is to test the spirit, to go sit there, and wait for his peace, wait for his love, wait for his joy yeah. to show up. And, you know, going to a big adoration event, I think is going to be harder because there's going to be so much happening around you, but just going and sitting in a church, right. Allowing the stillness yeah. there to be around you 
is where you can really recognize, oh no, the, the atmosphere is different here. Like I can, yeah. I can feel the shift of the movement and what's happening. Yeah. That's good advice. And I would say on top of that, like if you, if you go to your local church or, or whatever, your local parish where the Holy Eucharist is present and you'll know the Lord is present by that Eucharistic, um, that the, the candle, the red candle, the candle of his presence, right? Which indicates to all the faithful, everybody there, that Jesus is present in the Eucharist here, that he is in, he is in fact inside of this tabernacle. He is tabernacling here right now in this little box. Um, if you go there and you, and you realize like, okay, the fruits of the Holy Spirit that Kevin was just talking about, like if they are not on your soul, and if you don't know what we're referring to, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, um, in Galatians chapter five, St. Paul tells us like wherever the Lord is, like wherever the Holy Spirit is and um, like wherever he is dwelling in a, an individual, um, that there are certain fruits that are going to be springing forth from that indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And you can look up the list, but uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, generosity it right is? there. Dang it. I messed up. Faithfulness gentleness and self-control one two three four five six totally seven nine. eight nine you were right totally nine it's okay cool totally nine. modesty is the fifth the tenth one people always try and sneak in there totally not don't be modest just kidding it's not in there it's you know, don't don't, <laughs> don't not be modest um but what i was going to what i was going to try and say was okay if any of those are like not present on your person on your soul on your heart then just ask Jesus, why? Like, Lord, why am I not experiencing more joy right now? Like, I want to be joyful. Because if you, you read that list, you, you look at that list and it's like, yes, I'll take all of those, please. You know, I'll mm -hmm. take all of them, please, God. Like, can I just have more love within my heart? Can I just have more self-control? Like, for Lord, for your sake, for my sake, come on. Can I just have some self-control? Uh, I want to be more, mm -hmm. I just want to be good. I want to be good. I don't want there to be any guile in my, in my soul. I don't want any duplicitousness in my heart. Like, Lord, help me just be real. And I think that's the point is that be totally transparent and real with the Lord and say, Hey, I'm experiencing this and I'm not experiencing this. Can you help me understand why? Cause I, I, I love you. I want to love you more. So like, can you just help a brother out? And he will always, <laughs> he will always speak when we ask him those direct questions. He will always speak when we ask him those direct questions. And honestly, in my own experience, I've noticed that the answer is like almost immediately in hand as soon as I ask the question. It's like, oh, why, Lord, why am I not, uh, why am I not more joyful? I mean, that, that's the beautiful thing about truth though, is that, you know, they say the truth hurts and it does. The truth hurts because it, it cuts out that which is not of the Lord. Like when you come face to face with the truth, it hurts because it hurts in a good way because you are cutting off of this this falsehood this yeah this deceit that you've partnered with previously and i just love that the lord is so gentle too unless you're a particularly bad listener i i would actually say the lord has had to club me quite a few times um because of my stubbornness now i i thoroughly enjoy a good clubbing though so hey. i i don't want anyone to be caught off unawares right but there are those of us who are particularly stubborn and um, pro yes. accident prone, one might say, who um, a good clubbing is just what the Lord had in line. Sure.
Well, just to distinguish like between like a, <laughs> like a happy clubbing and a not happy clubbing, like an angry clubbing. The Lord's not like yeah. an angry. I've always compared it like the Lord, he, he can speak in the small stillness of, you know, silence. He can also speak mm-hmm. in two by fours. Like I've, I've, I've said that before. It's a great, and what do I mean by that? I mean, okay. So me and my friend Spencer, once upon a time, God bless him. It was like seventh grade or something. And we were doing something obviously just very immature and reckless. We were playing tag, but rather than tagging each other, like, you know, normal people, we would uh, play tag by uh, throwing a two by four at one another. And if you got hit (laughs) by the two by four, then you're it. And it was about as fun and crazy and absolutely ridiculously dumb as it sounds. And that's where I get that the Lord speaks in two by fours because I remember I I thought I was in a really good hiding spot and we were in this like development area with houses and stuff. And all of a sudden I just hear this, this like just this, this hissing of wind. And then the two by four just absolutely just wrecks me in the back. I can still feel it to this day. And uh, I got him back though. So, um, yeah. And the difference there is the willingness to play the game, right? Yeah. When you say to the Lord, Lord, whatever you want, yeah. however you want it, right? Right. You're giving him permission. And I gave him permission for a couple of years before he hit me with a two by four. He mm. tried to do it the easy way. And I was like, no, I steadfastly choose the most difficult route possible. Sure. And, and I think, you know, you and Spencer had an opportunity to choose to play the easy way. And you're like, no, we are choosing chaos right now. (laughs) And, and the Lord and his mercy meets us in our chaos and says, Uh, okay, if this is where we got to do it. Yep. I'm thinking about like St. Peter. St. Peter had to be one of those guys. He was one of those guys, you know, like you've got the Peter, you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and I shall give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and the, the, the gates of hell will not, shall not, will not prevail against it. Like that's pretty cool. And then Mm -hmm. you, you pair that with, you know, just after the, the partial healing of the blind man, um, I see trees walking around. He's like, okay, um, he, he spits on him again or whatever, gets him the full healing. And then right after that, Peter's like, God forbid, Lord, that you're going to have to go up to Jerusalem and get persecuted by the Pharisees and, you know, scribes and, and, and suffer death and die. And like, that's God forbid. He's like, get behind me, Satan. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I think there's definitely a spirit of a uh, little Peter in there for you. So little Peter, little Paul, Paul literally got knocked. Yeah. Talk about two by fours off his, off his donkey onto his hind hind end. Right. And he was the most educated man in Jerusalem. Yep. You know, trained under the most famous rabbi in Jerusalem Mm -hmm. and still couldn't see the most obvious thing that Jesus was the Christ. Right. And so the Lord's like, okay, like you want body. I gave you every opportunity. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to, now I'm going to give you a little nudge. Knock, yeah. knock you off your donkey, and uh, and and it's in that moment that Paul experiences that conversion, yeah. and he celebrates it. He rejoices in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? He's not pouting that the Lord was a little more forceful. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, and I'm not I'm not pouting about it either because yeah, man, those letters from Paul, good stuff. Yep, I uh, lots of lots of thank yous to Saint Paul for uh, post getting knocked off for sure. Yeah, you think about too how how incredibly intelligent he was, not just in the Jewish tradition, but remember uh, when he's in Athens on the Areopagus and he's preaching, well, he's trying to preach to all these philosophers. They they take him, they they take him to the 
Areopagus, which is the hill of Ares that goes up to the Parthenon, which is that giant, really like the only building in all of like Greece that anybody can recognize, this giant temple to Pallas Athena, doesn't matter, but he's there, you know, hanging out with all these philosophers. And what does he do? Does he preach Jesus Christ crucified? No. He preaches their philosophy. He references two separate Greek philosophers to them. And they're like, hmm, I don't know about this resurrection from the dead thing. Why don't you come back tomorrow? Let's talk about this tomorrow. All right, you come back now. We'll, we'll hear you again. But the point being, he's just so intelligent, this guy. Like he knew what he was doing with every single word that he wrote. Kevin, could you tell me a little bit more about um, like what Father Matthias Thalen and you and the whole team of St. Patrick's in Brighton, like tell us more about how it is that you're kind of running parish operations. Like, cause I know that there's a lot of really, really special and cool things about the way that you are, um, you know, from all the way from like CCD and uh, religious education and a youth group and uh, small faith groups. Like, I know there's a lot that you guys are doing that's, it's kind of revolutionary. I, I would just, could you speak into that a little bit about uh, what does a, a normal, yeah, what does that look like at the parish level for you? You know, earlier I referenced that journey of a disciple. And, and I use those those three terms, seek the lost, uh, encounter the love of God, and form intentional disciples. And those are our strategic anchors. So in our mission uh, to make disciples, we have those three things as our anchor points saying like, okay, in order to make disciples, these spirit-filled missionary disciples, we have to do these three things. And so we've kind of taken the life and the ministry at the parish and said like, okay, where does it fit within this spectrum? And rather than trying to do everything, right, let's do the one thing really, really well here. Mm -hmm. yeah. So how are we seeking the lost? How are we creating opportunities for people to encounter the love of God? And how are we forming people as missionary disciples? And so, you know, with that, we've looked at various programs that are available out there and, and what it ultimately comes down to is, is something my good, good friends at CCO, Catholic Christian Outreach, um, have identified as kind of like a secret to, to great ministry, mm -hmm. right? And they, they call it the three, the three P's of ministry, people, programs, and paraclete. And when those three come together, you have this beautiful accompaniment that happens, right? And that's what the, the journey of discipleship is all about, is creating a culture uh, of one disciple jour journeying with another disciple or another person into the life of discipleship, right? There's a popular um, image or analogy that's used to talk about life in the church, and it's one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. And that's what accompaniment really is about, is, is saying like, hey, like I've encountered the bread of mm -hmm. life. And I want you to encounter the bread of life too. And it starts with having good people. And so we've looked at, at our, at our staff and said, let's, let's get an incredible staff here mm. that knows and understands who Jesus is and has a desire to share him with other people. And then let's pour into our leaders, knowing that, that Moses himself couldn't do it all alone. Jesus yeah. himself could do it all alone, that they were raising up other people to do ministry with them. And so we want to pour into our leaders and make sure that they are encountering the fullness of who God is, that they're growing as disciples. Yeah. And with every ministry, right, we want to make sure that there is a succession plan in place, knowing like, you know, Jesus made sure there was a succession plan when he ascended into heaven, right? Peter made sure that there was someone to take over when he was gone. 
We want to make sure our ministries aren't becoming, you know, cults of personality, right. like focused on one individual, but there is a, a leadership pipeline being raised up individuals caring for one another. Yeah. Um, when I was in youth ministry, uh, I had a, a good friend share with me that the most people I could minister to was somewhere between 25 or 30. After that, I couldn't make sure that they were known and, and seen and loved well, that people would start to drift away and fall away. Right. And so one, one youth minister, one really good youth minister by themselves will That's kind of reach. cap out at 25 yeah. to 35 students in their program. I love what you just, to, for, just to, to make a distinction, like you said, not just know them, love them, make them like seen, would you say seen, known and loved, but like, well, yeah. well, like you, you mm-hmm. can remember a, well. a full, you know, grade of, of, teens' names, but like them being known, seen, and loved well. That I love that, the differentiation there. To be in relationship with them, yeah. you know, because that's yeah. what it's, discipleship is translated through relationships. That's why the, the home, the domestic church is the first sharing of the gospel. Right. My, my witness as a father and a husband is the first gospel that my kids will hear and see. Mm-hmm. And so as a, as a ministry, you want to set it up so that you can minister to so many people, but for every one core member you add to your, your, your team is, is essentially another 10 students that you're adding to your program. And so I've looked at that with our various ministries of the parish and say, okay, for every, you know, leader of a ministry, every one volunteer they add, it's another 10 people who can come alongside mm. that can be cared for. And, and so we started, you know, pouring into our leaders and forming them and make sure we had really good people. Right. And the next thing was programs, right? And programs is, I'm using very generally here. There are scripted programs that we use and, but even those we edit a little bit, but a Bible study, you know, a lay person leading a Bible study, the Bible study is the program that's being led, whether it's written by the experts at the Augusta Institute, or it's a group of people gathering to read the Sunday readings and discuss them together, Mm -hmm. do group Lexio Divina, right? That's the program. And so good people and good programs can do good things. But if you want to see great things, if you want to see accompaniment happening, if you want to see transformation in the life of discipleship, you have to have the Holy Spirit involved. Mm-hmm. Right? And when Jesus left, he said, it's better that I go yeah. so that I can send you the comforter, right? If I can send you the spirit, the paraclete to come alongside you. And because we are so willing to radically partner with the Holy Spirit, we're so willing to pivot when the Holy Spirit says pivot, when we're willing to jump, when the Holy Spirit says jump, it's taken those people that we have and those programs that we're running and into a whole nother level. Yeah. And if you remove any one of those legs from the table, it falls over, right? You can have really good programs and, and, and a staff that's really ready to partner with the Holy Spirit, right? But if you don't have people coming, if you're not inviting anyone, there's no transformation happening at your parish or you have people who are really good people who are all willing to do whatever the Holy Spirit says, but if you don't offer them a, a time to gather, a direction to go in, a pathway to walk, right? There's, there's, they're not, they're just staying there waiting. Mm-hmm. They're sitting in the upper room instead of going out and to the streets of Jerusalem and, sh- and sharing the good news. Um, and obviously if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then honestly you have nothing, right? Yeah. Cause apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And so what we've done at the parish is say, you know, in all things, we want to have great people. We have great program. We want to have a radical willingness to surrender the Holy Spirit. And whatever we do, and then we're going to be ruthless in cutting out anything that doesn't further that mission. I love that. Right. We want to be yeah. a parish on mission. 
Yeah. Because, I mean, if you're not a parish on mission, you think, oh, my goodness, what are you? You know, if I'm not a parish on mission, I'm a parish of, I don't know, I'm not a pastor and I don't want to throw shade, but it's a great word to reflect on. It's like, are we living for mission? Because yes, like mm-hmm. obviously make sure your children are fed. Don't neglect your children, but are you on mission? And are you willing to, I love the way that you said, ruthlessly willing to cut out anything that isn't supporting that, like in line with that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's profound. Um, and there's a, you know, there's a tension point and I think we're reaching it here at this parish uh, and I'm excited about it for a lot of people. The first place you have to go is to the lost sheep in the house of Jerusalem. And when Jesus sent the disciples out, he sent them first to the lost sheep of Israel, right? Not out into the Gentiles, but mm-hmm. to the sheep of Israel. And he said, go get them first, go give them first dibs on the good news yeah. that I'm here. And then for everyone who doesn't listen, then you go into the streets, you go to the Gentiles, you go out and you grab everyone else and you, and you invite them in. And for a church, for a parish, for a person to start on mission, the first is to look around them and say, okay, who are the lost sheep around me? Are they my, my family? Are they the people sitting next to me in the pews? Right. And understanding that, that many of the people sitting next to us in the pews are lost sheep, that they don't know who Jesus is. They don't know that the Eucharist is really him. They've never experienced the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit in their life. Right. Right. And when we go to them first, but there becomes a point where we have to turn our eyes off of the house, the lost sheep of Israel and out into the streets, out to the Gentiles. And we have to be willing to go out and say, no, no, you're welcome here too. And, and so what I mean by that is, you know, parishes are going to start and a popular example is Alpha. If you're running alpha at your parish, the first, you know, four, five, six times you run it, it's going to be a lot of parishioners, but it's not going to keep going and be sustained if you don't take those first groups who go through it and send them out to get all those other people, the unchurched, the de-churched, and invite them back in to experience this and to experience the radical, radical hospitality, the radical love of God poured out in their life in a new way. Yeah. Right. Cause growth doesn't come from staring at our own navels, right. To looking at our own inward, right. A church that is inward focused ultimately becomes a sick church, mm-hmm. right. We have to be an outward focused church, right. So we build the people first in the lost house of the, of the, of, of Israel, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then we say, okay, people go out. And for every one person you connect with here at the parish, go connect with someone outside of the parish. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's a group in Denver, um, called Scent Evangelization. And our diocese is is partnering with them. Did a webinar with them last week and we're, we're gonna do some work with them. And one of the things I love about Scent Evangelization is they're transforming door-to-door evangelization. And that is a scary concept for a lot of people and for a lot of Catholics. They're like, I don't wanna go knock on someone's door and tell them about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's awesome. We don't want you to do that either because it, it, it doesn't always work. What we want you to do is knock on someone's door and be Jesus. Hey, I'm here. I'm from St. Patrick's. Is there anything you need help with? Is there anything I can bless you with? Is there anything I can pray with you for? Let's do it right now. There's one guy who serves with scent. He showed up at someone's house and she's like, hey, we're just like hanging Christmas lights right now. And he goes, awesome. Can I help? I'm good on a ladder. And he stayed there for two hours and just hung Christmas lights. And then at the end said, hey, is there anything I can pray with you? Awesome. And then he marked down his territory, his 200 houses. 
And he went back to them over and over and over again, kept checking in on those same people, right? Not bouncing from every house to house, trying to get instant conversions, but continually showing the love of God. Yeah. Right. One of the best missionaries I know, uh, is, is actually a, um, she's not Mormon. Who's the other door knockers that we all love? Jehovah's witnesses. There you go. Uh, Jehovah's witness came, uh, right when COVID right before COVID started and knocked on my door. And I love invited our friends, the Jehovah's witness and the Mormons in and sitting down and talking with them. And so I invited her in. We had a great conversation about the Lord and everything like that. And I get a letter, a handwritten letter from her in the mail, uh, every four to five months. Hmm. Still letting her know that she's praying for me, uh, sending her little packets about uh, Jehovah's Witness with her. And the it's been three years. The intensity and the, the beauty of that witness, yeah. I'm like, man, if we would just pick a neighborhood, a location, yeah. and commit to eating and checking in on people over and over again, right? What a witness to the love of Christ, yeah. right? They will know you are Christians by your love. Mm-hmm. And that's much easier than and going up and constantly saying, have you met Jesus? Have you met Jesus? Have you met Jesus? Because if you act like that, they're going to come to you and say, why are you doing this? Yep. Why would you help me? And then the door is wide open. Yeah, that's a great word. Um, it really just starts by being a good neighbor. Like, and I hate the fact that State Farm has totally hijacked this, right? But like, seriously, being a good neighbor, like you talk about scent evangelization, that entire apostolate is basically just being a good neighbor. Like, do you have time set aside in your schedule to be a good neighbor? Like, are you interruptible enough? Not just interruptible, but are you are you forthright enough about going and, and offering love to somebody else who literally lives close to you? I love the, there's this program. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a program. I, I don't know. It's called Bless Every Home. Bless Every Home. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's an online, basically just <sighs> database of sorts that you in your neighborhood in your neighborhood, you can sign up to uh, basically pray by name for your neighbors. I don't know how they get the information. I think it's through like public um, public land taxation or something like that, uh, private property mm-hmm. taxes or whatever that there's a name um, you know issued with it or whatever. So I like I know the names of my neighbors uh, actually because I've you know gone up and, and shaken their hands and gotten to know them a little bit, not just because I've been totally creepy on them, but the point being that I, for those who I haven't had that chance to actually meet face to face and shake their hands, like I know their names, I know the names of their children, I know that I'm I'm praying for them by name, mm-hmm. cluster at a time, every day, that I'm praying, Lord Jesus, that you just might bless this family, that you bless this person living in this home, that you bless each member of this family and that you pray for openings and opportunities to go and to be you, Jesus, to these people. So yeah, just be a good neighbor. Like I love that ministry. Just be a good neighbor. Like, do you even know your neighbor's names? You know, mm-hmm. like, do you know your neighbor's kids' names? Man, we got to do it. We got to get back to it. Kevin, do you have anything that you want to speak into? My, my favorite thing to talk about is always prayer and just the primacy of prayer. And when we're talking about the year of the Eucharist, right? There's no better place to pray than with Jesus and in front of Jesus. And in encounter, there's a a story we use to help people picture this um, about a man uh, who pulls a chair up and 
closes his eyes and pictures Jesus there, sit next to him. Yeah. And that's how he prays, just talking to Jesus. And it's an incredible story and it's a beautiful story. And it's something I've, I've done before and I've encouraged other people to do. I actually encouraged someone to do it uh, this past Saturday at, at, a, at an event we did at the parish. I was praying with him. But how privileged are we that we don't have to imagine that he's there, that yeah. he, we know he's there in the Eucharist and we can go sit with him again, whether it is in the church, uh, in the tabernacle, in the church, in the monstrance or in our homes uh, on a live stream of adoration. And we can look at him and, and just speak to him and take time with Jesus. Yeah. 15 minutes, set a timer every single day. You know, you can't sit out in the sun without getting sunburnt and you can't sit in front of the son of God without getting your life changed. Um, so stop making excuses and just do it. Yeah, that's a good word. And if, if you can't even get into your church, then just throw a hand up on that on that wall or something because he's still there, you know, he's still there. Mm-hmm. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time today and uh, thank you for everything that you're doing at the parish. Thank you for your apostolate, uh, your efforts with Encounter. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your brotherhood. Um, thank you for, you know, the fatherhood, fatherhood that you have in your in your home. Thank you for being the wild, maniac, crazy man that you are and how passionate you are for bringing the kingdom. Thank you. Look forward to uh, to seeing all the amazing fruits that, that flow out of, of this yes uh, that you've made uh, here at, at Arch KCK. Well, dear listener, thanks for tuning in today. Um, really grateful for every one of you who uh, tuned in and especially if you have left a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, please, if you haven't done so yet, please do so. It's a easy breezy, beautiful, quick thing to do that's going to actually be helpful uh, for bringing the kingdom. Uh, so yeah, it'll take 30 seconds, a minute, I don't know, but please do it and we're actually going to show up higher on search results when people are looking for things pertaining to faith. So thanks so much for tuning in today. This has been New Mana. We'll see you next week. God bless you. 